Learning Podcast for the Journal of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition. I'm Kelly Tappenden, Editor-in-Chief of JPEN and Professor and Head of Kinesiology and Nutrition at the University of Illinois at Chicago. I'm pleased to be here with Priscilla Barr today, who is a neonatal dietitian at NYU Medical, and she's going to tell us about her paper entitled Standardized Nutrition Protocol for Very Low Birth Weight Infants Resulted in Less Use of Parental Nutrition and Associated Complications, Better Growth, and Lower Rates of Necrotizing Enterocolitis. Welcome, Priscilla. Thank you for having me. Oh, our pleasure. So you and your colleagues are working in a NICU and addressing this barrier, this difficult issue with tolerance to enteral feeds, how much to give, right? Because you don't want to be pushing that. Uh, we know that too much can be associated with necrotizing enterocolitis. Uh, and you standardize the protocol to try and hit that sweet spot or get a, a nice introduction of enteral nutrition. Is, is that what your rationale was? Tell us why you engaged in this work. Well, before we, we did this initiative, um, we didn't have any standardizations with how we fed babies. It was very attending dependent. Uh, so it would change from day to day and week to week as the attendings would change. And we had a lot of babies that were going home small, less than the 10th percentile. So we kind of looked at our growth parameters and our feeding methods and we looked at, we didn't have any consistency. And there's a lot of research showing that standardization really improves outcomes for very low birth weight babies, among many things, but one of them is uh, nutrition, because nutrition gets put on the back burner a lot in many NICUs. You know, the primary concern is whatever is going to get them through the day, like the respiratory status, if they have an infection and things like that. So we wanted to standardize it to make sure that it got more attention and that uh, we follow the same patterns from attending to attending. Very good. Uh, it does vary so much NICU to NICU too, right? Having a good advocate for nutrition such as yourself uh, does result in some of these improvements. Where did you look for to develop your protocol? So we were part of this uh, nutrition initiative with the Vermont Oxford Network. And that was kind of a group of hospitals that got together. It was called NICU7. And uh, we met about twice a year in different areas of the country. And every time we met, we discussed how we can improve nutrition in our own NICUs. Uh, some hospitals wanted to improve growth. Other hospitals wanted to improve the rates of necrotizing and colitis to reduce those. So we were kind of trying to do both. So in these meetings, we were trying to brainstorm ideas of how we can improve our own nutrition. And one of those ways was through a protocol. And protocols, as I said, through research have really shown to improve outcomes. So I kind of broke it up piece by piece, looking at like trophic feeds. Do we do trophic feeds? What does the research say? You know, how much trophic feeds are good? You know, should the feeds be continuous or bolus? So we kind of looked at one by one and broke them up, each piece of the protocol against the research, we compared it against other hospitals as well. Okay, and looking at that research, what were the elements that became part of your protocol? Uh, so the first one was trophic feeds. We were practicing trophic feeds, but we weren't doing them for a set number of days. People would just throw out a number like 0.5 ml, but that depends upon the weight of the baby. So we kind of wanted to standardize it per kilogram, like 10 ml per kilogram or 15 ml per kilogram. So we chose 10. So trophic feeds was the first one, and we set it over at least three days. The provider could go longer if needed, 
but they had to do at least three days. Uh, the second part was the continuous feeds or uh, bolus feeds. That was kind of a big discrepancy from attending to attending, like some liked one and some liked the other. So we kind of agreed on these long bolus feeds, which are kind of, we feed every three hours, but we run them over two hours for our smaller infants, just for the babies under 1,250 grams. Uh, you know, research is kind of all over the place with better continuous or bolus, but if you look at continuous versus bolus, continuous is over 24 hours, and bolus is every three hours over 30 minutes. So it's a, actually a big difference in the amount of time that they're getting feeds. It's 24 hours versus, you know, about four hours. So we thought that there was kind of a happy medium point. And so we thought that the smaller baby should get the feeds over two hours because research shows that the babies who get fed over a longer period of time, if they're under 1,000 grams, they tend to do better with that. So that's why we chose that part. And how did you measure tolerance? So before we started this protocol, we would assess feeding tolerance by looking at abdominal girth and softness and looking at clinical signs, you know, if they're having apneas, bradys, and DSAS, and things like that. We also looked at gastric residuals. It was a protocol to check gastric residuals on any baby who was not on um, continuous feed. So any baby that was on bolus feeds had gastric residuals measured. But there was no amount that was determined significant, you know, when to hold residuals, depending upon the color or the volume. So every time that we got gastric residuals, which usually happened overnight, the feeds were held. So when looking at the literature, we were like, is gastric residuals even significant? You know, should we be checking them? What volume is significant? And we found that literature said that gastric residuals really don't help protect necrotizing enterocolitis. Gastric residuals tend to be higher, like right before a diagnosis of a neck, but the other signs are going to be set, you know, present that would kind of alert you to that, like maybe increased abdominal girth, spitting up, increased lethargy or radius and desats. So we decided just to look at a clinical signs and not look at the residual number. So you did include some of those other signs you just mentioned in addition to abdominal girth. Yeah, that wasn't part of the protocol, but yeah, that was always part of the clinical, the nursing, and the physician assessment to assess those clinical signs. So we're just not we're looking at gastric residuals anymore. We're, lo we're looking more at those clinical signs only. Okay. So you developed your protocol, and you started it, I believe, 2012. Is that correct? Correct. And then prospectively looked at infants. Uh, as they were going through your protocol. Tell us what you yeah. found. Well, we found a couple of things. Um, the first thing was we found that uh, feeding tolerance improved, and that was defined by a couple of parameters. These include parenteral nutrition days. Babies had less days on TPN. Um, they had less days that they were made NPO after the feeds were initiated. The days NPO before feeds were initiated were not different, but after the feed started, the days made NPO were significantly different. And then we also found a significant difference in necrotizing enterocolitis, which is great. So we found some secondary outcomes as a result of that, and those include less central line dates because we had less TPN. Uh, there's also less cholestasis because there was less TPN and more enteral feeds, and there were less blood transfusions. And this can be correlated with uh, less TPN because we, we tend to check blood every day 
or every other day, but mostly every day when babies are on TPN, and we check the, uh, their metabolic panels much less often when they're off TPN. And the third outcome that improved was growth, and this is because of, uh, there was a decrease in the Z-score from birth to discharge for weight, length, and head, and there was a, a decrease in the babies going home less than the 10th percentile. And this, there's like a various, there's so many reasons why all these parameters improve from our protocol. And why do you think those are? Is, is it the shift from parenteral to enteral that was able to be facilitated uh, more smoothly? Is it because the babies were simply getting the additional nutrients regardless of, of root? So, yes, the feeding tolerance probably improved for a number of reasons. The first one we think was the trophic feeds. We helped prime their gut and, get, and got their guts ready to tolerate feeds. And we feel like the long bolus feeds were very well tolerated in the literature. And so we decided to go with those. And we think that really contributed to improve feeding tolerance and decreased TPN. And the second reason was the less diagnosis of feeding intolerance. You know, we didn't check the residuals, so feeds were held a lot less. So that led to the decreased neck from the trophic feeds. There was decreased NPO and TPN from the better feeding tolerance and the less uh, misdiagnosis of intolerance, and this led to the subsequent uh, decreased line days, less cholestasis, and less blood transfusions. And the growth improved for a couple of reasons. You know, this was because, yes, they were getting less TPN and more feeds, but I think it's also because of this transition period that occurs. A lot of the babies, their growth falters when they kind of are on this TPN, when they're advancing their feeds and they're weaning their TPN, their calories and protein tend to be really low. There was a study by Nalke Miller on this. And, um, she showed that growth in, and protein content can be really decreased during this phase. So we decreased the time that babies were in this transition phase, but we also increased the nutrition deliveries that they received while they were in this transition phase by kind of concentrating our TPN. It's in the protocol. We wrote the TPN for a smaller volume to kind of give it more protein per milliliter while they were in this transition phase. And then we also did other things like increase the maximum volume. We standardized fortification, which was a big deal. Uh, we used to fortify. There was no standardized uh, method for fortifying feeds. And we did it uh, whenever the attending wanted to. So we sometimes it would be full feeds. So we ended up fortifying at 100 ml per kilo which is not full, like full feeds is like 150 to 160 mLs per kilo. So we were fortifying earlier on all of our babies. And for longer, we put in our protocol to keep the fortification on longer if needed. This is very good. We found in the adult population too that standardized protocols regarding these issues really does help both prevent and address malnutrition. Playing devil's advocate though, you had a prospective study where you implemented a protocol and compared that to a historical control. How do we know that the better outcomes weren't simply because there was advances in the field? Yeah, we, we looked at that. We controlled for many things. We controlled for the birth demographics, their treatment methods. Um, none of our patients got probiotics. Uh, we looked at what they were feeding. So yeah, there were a couple of things that differed in our NICU during the time before and after the protocol uh, happened, but none of these factors would really impact their nutritional outcomes. And these are more like they would affect their discharge outcomes 
like we stopped our home apnea monitoring program. Uh, nothing was really different with our respiratory treatment. Uh, one thing we did stop was prophylactic in the methicin for an intraventricular hemorrhage prevention. I did put that in the paper that that could have affected feeding tolerance, but that was the only thing that I thought I disclosed for. But yeah, all, all the other measures were, were accounted for. Like if they got into methicin, if they needed pulse natal corticosteroids, things like that. Yeah, very good. All right, well, thank you very much for sharing your work with us. It demonstrates, again, how important it is to be providing nutrition care with standardized protocols. For our listeners, please do go to the May 2019 issue of JPEN and read Priscilla Barr's paper, Priscilla and her co-author's paper, on standardized nutrition protocols for very low birth weight infants resulted in less use of parental nutrition and associated complications, better growth, and lower rates of necrotizing enterocolitis. Thank you, Priscilla. Thank you so much.